This episode is brought to you by WeatherGuard Lightning Tech. At WeatherGuard, we make wind turbine lightning protection easy. If you're a wind farm operator, stop settling for damaged turbine blades and constant downtime. Get your uptime back with our strike tape lightning protection system. Learn more in today's show notes or visit weatherguardwind.com slash strike tape. Welcome back. I'm Alan Hall. I'm Dan Blewett, and this is the Uptime Podcast, where we talk about wind energy, engineering, lightning protection, and ways to keep your wind turbines running. All right, welcome back to the Uptime Podcast. This is episode 38. I'm your co-host, Dan Blewett. I'm joined here by lightning protection expert, Alan Hall. Alan, how are you, sir? Hey, great, Dan. Boy, uh, really fascinating uh, interview with Bjorn Hedges, uh, who's been in the wind turbine industry for quite a number of years now, and and is also involved in the ESIG group, uh, which is really fundamentally changing the way that wind turbine operators do their business. And is that that sets up a community of, of operators uh, that can share information about their particular situations and, and make the industry better. So not only is he very knowledgeable about wind turbines and how they operate and how the intricacies of running a turbine, but he's also involved in a sort of volunteer basis uh, of, of spreading the good news. So it's really great to have him on the show. Yeah, absolutely. So like Alan said, our, our guest today was Bjorn Hedges. He is the plant manager for two wind turbine sites in Washington State, the Harvest Wind One and uh, the White Creek uh, site. So he's been there for 14 years, which as Alan and I, well, we all kind of talk through a little bit on the show, uh, is pretty abnormal in today's just sort of corporate world, right? People are bouncing from one job to the other Mm -hmm. every two to three years and even five years seems long nowadays, but he's been there for a long time and obviously has a ton of experience in the industry and and he's also seen just tons of changes in those 14 years and and as alan uh, alluded he's the chair of of esig which is the energy systems integration group their wind solar and energy storage operations and maintenance users group so he's heavily involved with that and he's as you'll tell he's clearly passionate about sharing information helping others in his industry solve their problems um which is really cool it's it's a unique thing wouldn't you say alan it it is uh and the discussions around COVID are very fascinating uh, at, that they had plans in place to deal with something a, a pandemic as, as severe as COVID. but there's certain aspects about it which they hadn't prepared for which are kind of funny but yeah it's 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 great i just love talking to people on the ground uh, because they're real then they have knowledge they've been working at this a long time and they have things to, to provide back to the industry which is what i like about the wind turbine industry is is that it is a very sharing group they want to um, spread their knowledge and, and all the things that they're doing for the community so it's great to have bjorn on the on the podcast yeah so uh, again bjorn's the, the plant manager of the harvest wind project and White Creek Wind One. Those are again both in Washington State. And in today's show, we covered you know his wind farms, his experience with Esig, um, a lot of different aspects of uh, managing a wind site. We talked about arc flashes and safety and tons of stuff there. How COVID has changed the industry, uh, and a lot of advice on managing people. And at the end, especially, especially so if you're a young person listening, definitely stick around for the whole episode. 
Um, he gives a lot of advice if you're interested in, in, in working in wind industry or in wind energy. Um, a lot of really thoughtful advice that probably is a little bit outside the box if you're just thinking, oh, this is going to be exciting. I want to work on these machines or I'm really mechanically inclined. But there's a lot of personal aspects that he gets into, um, just the kind of lifestyle you want to live. You know, do you want to live in a remote area, stuff like that, that he gets into at the end. So really valuable information for um, people of all ages for this uh, for this episode. So without further ado, let's jump into our conversation with Bjorn Hedges. All right, Bjorn, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, obviously, Washington, what is the uh, what's the weather like out there? I assume your wind farms are probably cruising this time of year. Is it pretty blustery, I assume, out there in November? Yeah, well, definitely getting close to our winter weather. Winter preparation is complete. Um, we've had a bad couple of winters the last few years, so I, I think we know what to expect. But this year, um, with COVID, a lot of negatives in, in a lot of aspects, but the wind is not one of them. This has been a record-setting year for wind generation in the Northwest, so that's that's one positive for 2020. Well, we, we really appreciate you uh, coming on the show with us, and we are going to get to COVID later on in the, in the, in the show today. Um, and it really has been a, a really curious year. And like you said, there's a lot of industries, obviously, remote calls like this one, right? Zoom, all these different types of uh, online softwares, they've been unaffected. Seems like wind power, like you said, wind turbines are still cruising along. So it's been really interesting seeing how the country's been affected in 2020 by COVID and when that will um, you know, taper off and uh, if it just kind of comes roaring all the way back. But I think the first thing on the docket here is, you know, you're the chair of, of ESIGS, Wind, Solar, and Energy Storage Operations and Maintenance Group. And for those of you who are listening, ESIG is a, an awesome professional organization. And we've been lucky to sit in on some presentations and, and get a little bit of behind the scenes of it. Uh, but can you tell us why are you part of ESIG? What does ESIG do? And, um, you know, how is how important is it for the wind industry for professionals like yourself to be sharing information uh, with other site managers and, and people in the industry? Yeah, so I guess I should first mention that I've been in the wind industry for about 14 years. I think that's uh, pretty long in this industry as it's it's fairly new, at least the large-scale wind farms in the United States. Um, being in the Pacific Northwest, uh, my I first started reaching out to the peers of, of the wind sites that were being developed around me. Uh, one of our neighbors gave me some word of mouth that this this group of plant managers and, and asset managers called at that time it was called UWIG. Uh, is explicitly just for wind generation. Solar hadn't really hit, neither had energy storage. And by the way, they have a meeting every six months and it's about two hours from my site. So word of mouth brought me to ESIG. Mm -hmm. I went to the uh, more local conference and kind of fell right into it. Uh, the sites that I operate, uh, both of those sites are Siemens turbines and Part of this organization is a breakout of wind turbines by the platform. So if you have GE, um, you'll have a breakout session where, where you and your peers get together to discuss what are the issues with GE. And, and for me, it was Siemens, and Siemens was relatively new in the United States. Um, 
and they did not have anyone to chair that roundtable discussion. So first day at the UWIG session, I, I was a roundtable chair and, and just kind of jumped into it. <laughs> I fell in love with it uh, right away. Um, you know, nobody has the time to come up with a solution for everything. And there, mm -hmm. there are great organizations already to help discuss that. You know, WEA has been around for a while, and there's a lot of great information there. I think WEA tends to focus on what's new, what's coming up next, where, and I'll keep on saying ESIG and UWIG because they, their name has changed over the years, but currently ESIG. It's... It's not a, here, buy this new tool to fix the problem. It's, it's, hey, what did you do to fix what you have? And probably more importantly is, hey, don't do this. You know, here's a problem. We mm -hmm. tried this way. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your money. That didn't work. Try this instead. And so it's just a, a group of peers that, that share knowledge back and forth you know, without trying to sell you anything either. There's, there's no skin in the game. There's, Hey, we tried this and it works great. Uh, take it or leave it. Um, this is what we saw from it. Mm -hmm. And so I've, I've really enjoyed the information. I, I definitely try to provide information from things I've learned, but I've definitely learned more from it than what I've put into it. So I've, I've been a part of that. Well, I think that was 2012 when it started or when I started with it. And so eight years now. Wow. Yeah. Well, and it sounded to me in sitting through some of these meetings that it's just like a bunch of old mechanics, like sitting around who really love what they do and trying to do it a little bit better. Right. I mean, you guys and, and gals, I mean, because there's some a lot of smart minds, men and women in, in the energy system integration group. Um, but everyone was there just, again, with that common goal, really friendly, just like, hey, what's working? What's not like what problems have you had? Here's a new problem I've got. You know, does anyone have a, a solution for me, a fix for me? Yeah. I mean, there's no 20-year-old turbine uh, of our size to use as an example. And and so we all have to learn from each other and, and make each other better. I think there was also an overall goal to get ahead of regulation. Um, you know, the wind industry really has been a pretty safe industry. And I know there's some exceptions, but... Uh, pretty safe industry. And I think groups like this have a lot to do with it of, hey, how are you dealing with confined space? Or what are your lotto procedures? And getting together to make sure that we're all safe and getting together to make sure that we would rather create the industry standard than having a, a federal regulatory agency create that for us that that obviously doesn't have the experience that this group has inside the turbines. Mm -hmm. And Bjorn, how, how has that industry group grown over time? Where, where did you start out in terms of numbers? Where are you at generally now in terms of the just population of the group? Yeah. So again, it started off with just the wind industry. Solar was not uh, really mentioned. Uh, energy storage was was not there yet to, I guess you could include hydropower as, as energy storage, which has been around for a long time. Right. But, but, um, you know, there's, there's been a push regionally nationally for more renewable energy. And, and so I think that's been a lot of push to get the different utilities and, and different markets to push more into renewable. And obviously that's helped increase the numbers, uh, hmm. 
later on from UWIG, you know, adding uh, adding solar and then energy storage has opened up more platforms for discussion. So, so for like me, I'm very interested in the Siemens roundtable. I, I want to hear the issues with with other Siemens turbines, other Siemens sites, and and how they fixed it. But now the same applies for solar as well as energy storage and. And it's kind of neat to see, uh, I, I did listen in on the solar roundtable that we just had uh, maybe a month ago, and they're asking the same questions that we were asking, you know, seven, eight years ago of, <laughs> you know, what what does it take? What What is a solar tech? You know, in your opinion, what kind of training experience, you know, are, are there different levels? And, um, you know, it's it's fun to see that. They're growing like we were growing, you know, just seven or eight years prior. So we do have a push with ESIG now. Uh, a few years ago, we did put a a book together, and again, a group of peers each basically took a chapter, and and we call it the Wind Operators Guidebook. I, I think it should be better named of. So you want to buy a wind farm? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> And it, it's those things that, hey, we've been through this. Um, you know, we've learned from it. We, we've improved on it. Let's uh, let's help out the rest of the industry. So if you're new to the industry, read this book. And here are some thoughts that maybe you didn't think about. And maybe you did, but there's there's a lot of aspects to it. So make sure that you have all those things covered. And, and now we're looking into adding solar and energy storage uh, with that same experience that, that those members have gained over the years. Well, I just want to get a little bit more of the landscape here. Where are your members from? Are they North America, mainly Europe? Where are the the members located at? Yeah, with the, with the users group, it would, it's basically the Americas. There's definitely more membership in the United States. Uh, there's, however, a lot from Canada and and South America as well. You know, it's interesting to remember where those members are when, when you have a discussion. I remember a discussion on uh, on conductor and splices failing due to frost heave. And, and I asked this member, like, <laughs> you're, you're having issues with these sleeves failing from frost heave? Like, how, how deep is your conductor? And it's like, oh, it's four feet. Whoa. Oh, you're from Canada. You, <laughs> you, you just need to move your turbines further south. We, we don't have that problem. <laughs> yeah, very northern problem for sure. And yeah, definitely when you, when you have a group that represents this much of the industry, you do need to have those discussions of, hey, I'm going to say this, but just remember, I, I'm on the coast and there's salty yeah, air for... I'm in the desert uh, here, so I go from 5 degrees Fahrenheit to 105 degrees Fahrenheit and and way different issues. And so I guess I should say that uh, I'm a short time listener of your podcast, but I've been doing a lot of catch up and, and lightning is obviously a big focus of yours. And, you know, I think of the Midwest and, and, you know, they talk about lightning and we talk about lightning and we're, we're talking about two different things here. We, <laughs> yes. we don't yeah, you are, yeah. near the issues. Well, that's a good point. Um, and before we get into, you know, some of the things that you've seen change over the years, how how careful do people have to be about making blanket generalizations about operations and maintenance and and repair? I mean, for the exact reasons that you just yeah. talked about. I mean, how how hard is it to get like an apples to apples comparison of an issue someone's having in say you know North Carolina compared to you know your wind farms in in Washington? Yeah, I think that's an important reason why we have those breakout sessions for each platform. 
Um, that does make the discussion a lot more similar. And, and we're finding that, you know, the turbines are getting bigger and more efficient and, you know, smarter technologies. And even within the same platform that we, we are seeing, the discussions are diverging somewhat. So for GE, for example, we have a discussion on GE, we call 1.x, you know, one to two megawatt wind turbines, but now we, we've added a 2.x. Right. Just the issues, the issues are different. You know, you get up high, yeah. higher or, or longer blades. Sure. Uh, issues made, you know, the longer, lighter blades, you know, maybe there's more of an issue with leading edge erosion versus, you know, kind of the helfer stout, thicker but smaller blades sure. that, that don't travel as fast. So, yeah, you do have to have those discussions, but there are a lot of things that are in common. Uh, we do have a what we call balance of plant session uh, where it's kind of everything else, everything that's kind of the same. You know, how do you maintain your roads? Uh, what do you do for snow removal? Well, if you're in Hawaii, you can kind of skip that <laughs> session. But, uh, you know, we have the, the same issues in Washington State as, as maybe they do in Minnesota. Sure. Probably not North Dakota, but but same but more. Well, is, is that a major? So you, you bring, you know, one of the things Alan and I talk about in this podcast a bunch is new technology, right? Because that's a cool, you know, everyone's curious, like, what's the next biggest wind turbine, you know, rolling off the factory floor? But is that difficult? Because like you said, uh, you know, I'm sure it took you a bunch of years to really get your feet wet where you're like, man, I really understand this wind turbine. And, you know, you have your site and those ones are fixed, right? They're not upgrading them like they are what they are. But is it difficult? Do you see this in the group that it's, man, like there's a new model already. And now we have all these different models. Like how long does it take to really understand the model that you have? Is it right. a year, a couple of years, five years? And then there's a new one. Is that just completely starting over from scratch? Like, yeah, I guess we'll we'll understand this new model five years you know five years down the road, or is there, or is there a lot of similarity between one and the next? Yeah, so I think there's a couple different aspects with that. I think what's your role at that wind site? Uh, are you a technician? Are, are you a lead? Or are you maybe a plant manager? And so that that's going to vary. You know, for me, I've been fortunate to maintain. The, the job that I have at the sites that I operate for 14 years. So uh, a lot of institutional knowledge with that. I, I have quite a few technicians that have been around just about that long. And, and I enjoy a lot of institutional knowledge with that as well. Um, I, so I think it's more of, of the, the transient or traveling techs, you know, maybe they're a little more specialized, maybe they're into major components or, or a new retrofit. And what I've found is we, we have a lot of technicians that will come to us and, and part of the preparation for them to come to our site is, all right, you know, what, what are your training certifications? What is your experience? And we found that just, it's not all created equal. You know, we, we see your certification yeah. for this and, and that, and whether that's in a warehouse uh, inside and, and that's your only experience or, or whether you've really been doing this for 10 years and really know your stuff and you know, we don't know you. And so mm -hmm. part of our process is we, <laughs> we, we do put somebody new to the site with an experienced crew. Uh, we, we monitor them and, and it doesn't mean anything for off our site, but we basically have a competency checklist. You know, can you operate the hand terminal? Can you uh, manipulate the blades? Can you do this and that? And it's, it's probably about 20, 25 
items. And mm. if you're new to the industry, you know, this may take you 18 months uh, to go through it. If you have experience on these turbines, um, it, it could be five minutes. Yes, you you know what you're doing. You, you can be part of a smaller crew now or, or even lead a crew. So I would say if you're new to the industry, you know, maybe you've had some experience in it or educational experience like in a community college level or, or trade school. But to get you tuned up specific machines, it's about an 18-month process. Well, and how unusual is it for someone in your position to be in, in that role for 14 years? It seems like a lot of other people in your position, it's like two, three years, and they're off to the next spot. Well, I feel like that's any any industry, right, sure. Alan? I mean, you talk about employee turnover anywhere. It seems like that's pretty rare these days. Yeah, and I think that really will tie into some of your questions later on for young individuals looking to get into the industry. And I think it really varies on what you do. Um, you know, you, you tighten bolts, you, you add some oil, you change a filter, and then you move to the next one. And it's almost like assembly in line job, but instead of the part moving in front of you, you move to the next part. And sure. I do see that turnover at the maintenance technician level that, you know, one and a half, two years, I've seen it, I've done it. It's cold here. It's hot here. Uh, by the way, it's dusty and, and obviously very windy too. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I, I think in the, in those positions, the, the turnover is an, is an issue in the industry. And we're always trying to find better ways. You know, we don't want to lose two years of experience. And so we're always looking at ways to keep those, keep the interest up, keep the motivation up, keep those guys here. So it's, but it's an ongoing mm -hmm. issue for sure. Well, and Alan, I've talked about this uh, in, in previous episodes as well, that just the American young person is changing a lot. So one of the books that was honestly really concerning to me that I read earlier this year is called the coddling of the American mind. And it just talks about how the millennial generation and, uh, is it Gen Z that's younger than that? I can't remember, but they have a, they're just a very different workforce than the past and they want much more purpose out of their job. They want a good work-life balance. They also tend to maybe be a little more sensitive to criticism. And it, it seems like it takes a lot more managerial, um, just sort of almost, almost like tiptoeing, but you have to really know how to motivate these people. Like they don't just want to punch the clock, go home. They want right. to feel like their job was purposeful. And of course, yeah. renewable energy is a great thing for that. I mean, there's so many young people who are passionate about the planet. So Bjorn, have you seen this sort of change in people? Do you, when you get a new, you know, 22 year old or 25 year old, do you see a, a different personality than a 35 year old technician or someone else in a, in a similar field? <laughs> so first of all, I don't disagree with you, but I also can see, I don't know, maybe some Romans 2,000 years ago complaining about the next generation and, and how they don't know anything. So. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> so yeah, I, it's true. I, I don't know how much has really changed there. And I think for this industry, you find the right person pretty quick or, or you don't. Um, these wind sites, uh, so the, the turbines aren't stacked on top of each other, they require quite a bit of land. And if yeah. you need quite a bit of yeah. land, you're not going to be next to a, a large city because the mm -hmm. property leases are just going to be too expensive to make that viable. So do you like outdoor life? If, if you don't, if your idea of having fun is to be in the city 
and do some shopping and and go to restaurants, which obviously that's different now too. But um, sure, <laughs> yeah, um, it's a certain uh, lifestyle that um, that you either like or you don't like, and there's really no middle ground. I think of it like deadly deadliest catch, but the, the people out crab fishing, it's it's a very similar lifestyle. You're isolated a little bit. It's pretty rugged, and just certain people acclimate to that, and some don't. But the people who do are really competent at it uh, and enjoy it. And it just takes us, I think, at some level, it takes a certain kind of person, a personality, to go out and do that. Yeah, and you know, having family ties or, or ties to that area are definitely a positive i've i've definitely evolved sure. you know in the interviewing process to do, see what those ties are you know, why are you here you know if your family's halfway across the country eventually you're going to want to be closer to that family closer to those friends so you know is there a local tie and if there is i i would I would look at that individual that maybe doesn't have the experience uh, over one that does have more experience in the industry, just because I know they're going to be happier longer because of those, those local ties. And we, have we gotten to the point of having generational employees? What I mean by that is that their mother or father was in the wind turbine industry back in the eighties and, and, and now they're into it. Is, have we haven't gotten that far yet where we start to see that next second generation of employees come around where their parents may have worked in wind energy long ago? We're getting very, very close, at least for me. Um, so on a personal level, I have a daughter. My oldest daughter is a freshman at university at Washington state university. And mm, yeah, uh, some of the uh, technicians coming through, she knew them uh, in high school. So wow. yeah, maybe she was a freshman and they were, they wow. were a senior but now I'm getting the background information on employees from my daughter. That's <laughs> it just makes me feel <laughs> makes me feel old. But um, well, that's good, right? And but that's part of getting people to stick. I think is that generational. My my parents did it. I'm going to do it. And and they have they also they have that knowledge base. They have it's just part of the family lore. Is they have that knowledge. Well, and it strikes me as like a cowboy kind of job, and not to be like gender yeah. specific, but. Uh, you know, it's like one of those cool things. If you're a, a young kid and your mom or dad goes up those wind turbines, that's an intense, cool job. And you could see a, a little boy or girl being like, one day I want to be up on top of those big machines looking at the mountain mountain range like mom or dad did. That's a cool thing. It is. And, you know, as far as generation technology that's out there, you, you probably are more in tune with, you know, the latest tech Um you know, IT level of interest and, and whatnot that the wind industry and solar industry definitely have that higher level of technology compared mm -hmm. to maybe a hydro facility that was, that was built in the 40s or 50s. And mm -hmm. sure. And so it's a little bit of both. It's, it's high tech and and you're up there at 300, 350 feet. <laughs> right. Yeah. How do you feel about heights, Bjorn? Do you go up there? <laughs> have, have you have you gone up them uh, in the past? Like what was your... What? How much time have you spent atop a, a wind turbine? Yeah, so I'm not uh, in the turbines every day, um, but I've definitely been up there hundreds of times. Um, it really is not an issue. You know, you're climbing inside the tower. You, you can kind of see down the ladder. For, you know, for us, it, it's one long ladder from top to bottom. And the lighting, mm. those lightings in the turbines, I have often wondered if 
if the lighting was part of the design, because it's not overly bright, meaning that you can't really see all the way down. It just gets a little dim, and maybe that was done on purpose. Um, but, yeah, hmm. getting up top, being able to open up the hatches, uh, I, I definitely enjoy that. Um, I know a lot of people don't, but uh, for me, that's that's not an issue. Definitely a good workout, that's for sure. Can you tote coffee supplies? Like, have you had coffee atop a, and watched the sunrise atop a, a wind turbine before? There, There is definitely a goal to show off just how good of a lunch you've had up tower and i've seen uh, photos from different technicians of, of some pretty unique ways uh, of getting a warm meal up tower especially now that we're getting in the colder season and mm-hmm. some of the meals that these guys come up with uh man they, they put some restaurants to shame so you got to find a way to get that that super cool photo from what was it from when they were building rockefeller tower or something back in the was in the 20s, you know, where everyone's sitting there eating, oh, their, lunch yeah. pail, on the, eating their lunch pail on the beam, on the right. I beam. You got to get that same pose on a on a on a winter and blade, but probably just stage it indoors so it's safe. I don't know how you get safe, I, not right. you pull that off, but that'd be a cool photo. Good Photoshop it. I might take you up on that. We do have spare blades on the ground, so you're only up maybe five six feet. But if you get the angle just right, it might look like you're really brave and and a little down. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, the surface probably not as good to sit on as that that I beam. Which God, that that's an amazing, just classic American photo. Yeah, I know the one you're talking about. That's that's pretty amazing. So, speaking of of changes over the years, what have you seen that's changed the most? Is it like the mechanical technology? Is it the like the cloud based uh, data storage? The software? Take us through some of the changes you've seen in your career in wind energy? There, there are definitely have a lot of aspects that have changed over my 14 years of experience. So again, I've, I've managed two sites for almost 14 years. So the turbines themselves, uh, that's the technology that was there when we installed them. And, and it's, for the most part, uh, with the exception of some retrofits, it's, it's pretty much the same. Um, but one of the aspects I think has really changed is the digitalization for the technicians. When we started this 14 years ago, uh, a lot of companies were doing paper timesheets and they had their paper manual, their service manual, which is well over 800 pages of color photos. Um, Their their work orders were handwritten, faxed to the office. Somebody on the other (laughs) end of that fax machine was trying to read a technician's handwriting. And maybe it was turbine 19 that they're in, but it looked like 49. And, and so the data was not the best. And, and it didn't happen overnight. This is something that just constant improvement. But, you know, looking forward, jumping forward to today, the technicians are not packing up a half a dozen manuals that are several hundred to 800 pages long. Those, those are all on their iPad. You know, when they get their work assignment, it's, it's a electronic work order. With that work order are the applicable work instructions, lotto procedures. Um, you know, they have every everything that they need right there on their iPad, and that was one of the things that just paid for itself almost instantly. You know, a 800-page service manual with color photos, you know, double-sided, just just the cost to produce that, and and that's updated every six months. That that paid for the iPads. Right you know, within, within the first revision of, of that one manual. 
And sure. I forget what the count is, but we're pretty close to a thousand either work instructions or manuals or, or procedures. So it's it adds wow. up, and that's that's something that just takes a lot of time to write those work instructions and and to have a peer review and say yes, this is this is the correct method for doing this work. So that's definitely a, a big one. Is is just access to all the information. Um, and we talked about eSig and, and sharing of knowledge, and that's great on a national or, or you know, the continent level. But you also want that on your site. You, you want that technician with a dozen years of experience to be able to provide that level of experience to, to the guy that's been there for six months. And they have that. You know, if they take the time to read that work instruction and maybe ask some questions, so the the site as a whole is is equally experienced, and that's so much easier with with the electronics and and the ability to access that data. You know, keep in mind too, a lot of these wind sites are in areas that that don't have great uh, cell phone service. So how are you going to get that information sure. out to them? And, and it's really been made easy with with the upgrades for. You know, again, those iPads, cloud-based servers, things like that, where where that information is just available for a quick download. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a big part, keeping with the technicians. Um, a lot of the procedures for keeping them safe. You know, I, I mentioned that we wanted as a, as an industry to talk about things that we've learned, and and that's so much more important for safety-related issues. You know, when I started. Nobody knew what an arc flash analysis was, and and right. you know category four um, PPE. You know, that, I, I remember guys right. with t-shirts and, and no masks doing uh, voltage checks on what later was a category four cabinet, and they should not have been in there. Yep, I think we were very fortunate nope. that we didn't have those issues. Um, but we've learned as an industry, we've we've upgraded. You know those those type of uh, analysis and, and implemented either the appropriate lotto procedure or the appropriate PPE if, if we could not eliminate the, the issue, the appropriate PPE, which, boy, that's that's improved. I remember when that first came out, it was very thick, very stiff, one color, um, then right. not a very pleasant-looking design. And... Boy, the uh, PPE, you know, specific to arc flashes has really improved over the years as well. Um, I think when the wind industry was was first getting started, uh, there was a lot of influence from maybe fossil fuel technology or, you know, other similar technologies, but quite a bit of, of different issues as far as the environment. You know, you, you go to a natural gas plant and, and for the most part, it's it's one concentrated area. You know, we're here again, we're, we're separated over 40,000 acres with 80 meter towers that have snow and ice that built up on them over the night. You know, and right. when, we fir- yeah. when we first started, it's like, oh, you know, it's a little bit of snow and ice and didn't think much of it. And then when you start seeing what looks like a bombing range uh, coming to your turbine, like yeah, maybe it's not a good idea to go see this turbine today, and that's one of the things that <laughs> changed pretty quick. And and again, <laughs> fortunately, not because of any personnel issues, just keeping your your employees and keeping yourselves safe. Um, and that's yeah. that's one that we had a surprising struggle to um, 
to get those changes. And you kind of think about, you know, who's overseeing these sites. They're, they're going to be people that are experienced in the industry and in the power generation industry. They're, they're probably older and this technology didn't exist. So when you talk about snow and ice fall, they're talking, you know, they say, well, put some, uh, some uh, ice barriers up on your roof and you'll be fine. It's like, well, I have 132 roofs and, uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> so not that easy. Yeah. No, it's not. And, and there was definitely a wall there. And I, and that's what I attributed to is a lot of experience, but in a different application. And so it's something that we right. did have to push from the site level on up. Well, the work construction aspect is, I think the work construction aspect is really fascinating because I, that's when you know that engineer, somewhat engineering has kind of stepped into the process a little bit to try to even it out and safety has stepped in because you're right. In West Texas, 15 years ago, most of the technicians I would run across had come clearly out of the oil industry and the oil industry at least at that point was a lot looser about safety equipment and a lot looser about uh, work construction they just didn't really exist and so when they got to the turbines it was just sort of tribal knowledge and that has shifted dramatically in the last several years i think and it's good to hear that coming about because if we do want to make this industry grow we can we can't put technicians at risk all the time like we were doing. And you're right. It's it's about time. Uh, but and I think the ESIC group is probably really important in that because if you're if you have a new site, uh, do you have all those procedures set up in place? Probably not. You, know, you need to learn from somebody else who's done it for a while to get those procedures up in place. And that's that's really helpful. Yeah, and probably what's what's similar with any industry too is you really have to have those people that step up to air their dirty laundry you know especially related to to safety issues of hey we had a, a crew that did this and it did not go well for them and you know you don't really like talking about that that stuff um i remember one of your previous podcasts you, you talked about blade failures and you know how willing is a company to air their dirty laundry of hey, we had this failure because of this. But for safety, you know, that's just one of the things that you just have to repeat over and over and over again is, is we want those near-miss reports. We want those lessons learned. And mm -hmm. if we see a trend there, let, let's fix that trend. And it's it's difficult. You know, it's easy to say. It's it's difficult to, to do that and do that consistently, but we have to. And, and we do see the improvements to issues like snow and ice fall or to the arc flash. Uh, so that's that's great for the industry. Yeah, that reminds me of an anecdote. I don't remember what book it came from, but uh, basically the story was that there was a, like an American um, car executive or or a high up kind of manager ended up going overseas to whether it was Toyota or, or but it was one of the Japanese car manufacturers as a, as a high up you know recruit away to work in Japan, and at like maybe one of his first reviews were all the major. You know the high up uh, executives were reporting on how well their segment of the market did you know he kind of did the typical american thing which was yeah you know we crushed our goals we did this we did that we did that and all the toyota execs and I th again i think it was toyota they looked at him like you know that's wonderful we're, we're glad but we're here today to share each other's problems what problems have you had so that we can all work through them together and obviously the point in this, this is, again, I don't remember what book this was, but 
they were just talking about how a lot of the Japanese manufacturing techniques were just really, um, they were really good at catching and improving on errors in their process. And that's why, you know, the, the quality of Japanese made cars has always seemingly been superb because of their focus on solving each other's problems, not just touting their successes. And I do think that's something, you know, you, you asked about changes over time. Um, so a little more detail. I, I mentioned that I operate two sites. One of them is two years newer than the other one. And that is something I do see, even though you look on the outside of these turbines, they look exactly the same. You look at the specs on these turbines, they look exactly the same. But issues that we saw with the older site, the OEMs really do a good job, in my opinion, of looking at those issues and how we can make those better. And, you know, just the difference in two years, which which to retool, you know, assembly type process, that's that's a pretty short duration, but they are making significant improvements. Issues that I have on the older site, they're just non-existent on on the site that's two wow. years newer and hmm. and I, I assume you know I've, I've been focused on these two sites but i assume what i saw in those two years is, is still ongoing and that you know they're just getting better and better well and, and when you hear about some of these new wind turbines like obviously siemens mesa has the the 14 megawatt and ge has the the halley 8x which has now been upgraded to 13 megawatts i mean do people in the industry sort of view these as like the beta, you know, like, hey, this is a wonderful new thing, but we kind of realize that if we buy them now as like first out of the gate, we might kind of be beta testers. Yeah, sure. I, 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 def- I definitely think, in the, so you see some sites that maybe uh, step in slowly, you know, they, mm-hmm. they may be buying 90 turbines, but 80 of them are this older technology and, and 10 of them are the newer technology, mm. kind of safety in numbers. Yeah, you know, sure. So you don't have, have mm-hmm. that issue. And you know, I think the direct drives when they first came into the industry, you know, they had a huge issue with their main bearings. And, and yep. so, you know, again, the industry needs to talk and, and say, yeah, let's let's make sure that that main bearing issue is resolved before we really jump into this. But, you know, that's at the site or, or the um, fleet manager level. Right. The technicians, I think, uh, look at it differently. It's like, oh, look at this hub. I can stand up in this hub, have all my tools out. I don't have to crawl around these hoses or pitch cylinders. Like, right. we need these. Yeah. So, of course, you know, they're going to pick pick and choose for, for what they want. And, uh, you know, why can't we get those here? It's like, well, that that's a little expensive to, to put in new hubs. But <laughs> how about – how about some knee pads right. instead? Yeah, maybe Santa will bring you some for Christmas. Is, 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 is there technician envy for the newer turbines? I mean, obviously, some of those technicians do get around it quite a bit. Is is there is there a little bit of tribal knowledge like, hey, these turbines have this great feature and and these turbines don't? Is is that does that influence the the purchasing of turbines a little bit? What the technicians what the technicians think about the turbines? At the purchasing level, I, I don't think so. Um, you know, the, the people that are making those decisions most likely will never be in those turbines. Um, hmm. And I, I just don't think that that is really well known enough or, or maybe different enough wow. between platforms um, at the purchaser's level. I think they're more looking at, you know, power curves and availability guarantees, um, maybe more of a... Um, how much of this can you do through the OEM versus having to hire, you know, balance of plant or third-party contracts? You know, there's sure. there's some 
some products out there that it's here's your entire site and there's others like okay well we'll take care of the uh, turbine installation you know supply and installation the rest is on you and and so i think that's more where their focus is on whether mm-hmm. they're choosing vendor A or vendor B for their turbines. But I, I do say that there is more attention being focused on how is a technician going to maintain this turbine. You, you look at some of the older turbines and that nacelle was built for the equipment housed in that nacelle. You know, can you even get to the, sure. to the other side of the gearbox or how are you going to get, you know, silly things like you just can't get this bolt out. There's a cabinet in the way. So do I, do I move the cabinet to get to this right. bolt? And you know, with the older with the older uh, platforms, you're kind of stuck with that. And so tooling has really evolved to address things like that. But with the turbine manufacturer, you know, you, you definitely see more room around the equipment than than what you do maybe in the the older platforms. You also see a lot more attention wow. to the the safety aspect of it for the technician you know whether it's machine guarding or you know we talked about arc flash and you know here is a Mm -hmm. a component in this cabinet that has uh that requires the whole cabinet to be a high arc flash rating let's put that one component in its own cabinet and everything else you know maybe it drops it to a category zero um, so what, mm-hmm. why do we, why do right. we have that right. in, in the middle of everything else? And you know, compartmentalizing or engineering those safety concerns or those you know maintenance concerns out, and, and that's just a perpetually improving goal for everybody. For us, our, our goal personally was to again isolate those out. If we couldn't move that breaker, we put a cover around it so that wrench could not fall on that. Uh, again, right. the OEMs that that can start from scratch, they'll they'll put those in individual cabinets. Um, and then the main thing then is to educate the technician of what they could be exposed to just by opening the door and breaking that plane. You know, maybe they have not even applied their lotto yet. Uh, you know, they need to do that in that cabinet. And so by breaking that plane, what are they exposed to? Is this a low voltage communication cabinet. All right, so there's nothing over 25 volts here. We, we, we don't, I'm sorry, 50 volts. We, we don't need to worry about that. Um, or there's, there's a high voltage or high current in here. So before you even open up this cabinet, you're, you're donning the arc flash suit, you know, your category four, um, just, just right. to get into there. And so, you know, communicating that to the technicians, we talked about turnover. So that's definitely an issue, you know, if you have a new technician, do you have the time to show them every potential in each of the turbines? Um, obviously, you don't. So it's a matter of of labeling each cabinet, and that doesn't sound like yep. a lot, but uh, for our 132 towers and 18 cabinets, that's that's a lot of stickers. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. <laughs> But it, it's it's super important in terms of overall safety because arc flash and arc flash a lot of testing is done not very far from me at Epri the Epri Labs and arc flash is deadly it's like a bomb going off in your face if something were to happen like that and and as a technician electricity is just a danger because you can't see it right you can't you can kind of feel it sometimes but you can't really see it so having indications on equipment identifying what's likely to get you is really critical to overall technician safety. It is a little scary too. Maybe complacency is the right word of, well, hey, I've worked on this turbine platform. Mm -hmm. 
down in Texas or, or North Dakota. But each arc flash analysis yeah. is is specific to that site. You know, there's different break breaker settings. That's right. There's different, you know, the, the grid could be stronger or, or weaker, and, and that definitely influences um, the arc flash potential on that turbine platform. And even turbines could be absolutely identical. The, what they're connected to isn't. And so maybe you're at a site where this is only a category That's two right. and, and I didn't have to really worry about it. Uh, but at this site, even though it's the same turbine, it's it's maybe a four. So COVID-19 has put a big uh, stop into a lot of industries. Uh, you, you can name it. it. Restaurants, small businesses have been really hurt by it. Uh, but one of the industries that really can't stop is the power industry and the, and the renewable industry can't really stop because we're relying upon it so much. But I'm not working in that industry day to day, and I only hear the things sort of remotely. But how has COVID been for you? How, how has it affected the way you do work right now? Well, it's definitely affected our what I'd call our normal operations. But I think naturally, the wind industry was pretty well set up to work in a remote or virtual environment you know think about where these wind sites are and where the owners maybe the asset managers the the off takers are located with respect to that wind farm we've been doing virtual meetings for since uh, we, we commissioned these sites that's definitely nothing new to us um, being able to communicate with, with the off takers with with the balancing authority for grid reliability uh, we've been set up for some time to do that and do that uh, mostly automated with respect to uh, you know dispatching from the grid but the the meetings the, the flow of mm. communication uh, like i said that's been virtual since since day one well i just wonder about the ppes like how do you handle the ppes now are, are you is everybody have to wear a mask when you're in the presence of another are you is there hand sanitizer everywhere when you're when you're walking to the you open the turbine and start climbing? Is is have those things changed just to to try to satisfy the local health officials? So absolutely, the the on-site operation has changed with respect to COVID nineteen. I'm part of a larger corporation that operates different technologies of generation and have had formal procedures for dealing with pandemics for some time. So. We based our our changes, uh, our adjustments on our, our flu pandemic policy, and that was a great tool to make you think about what you're going to do differently. And I was fortunate that we already had mm. that in place. But again, you know, the different sure. technologies are going to be different. We talked about uh, maybe a fossil fuel site and how they deal with snow and ice compared to walking up to an eighty mile, eighty meter tall tower with snow and ice falling down on you. So things were different um, for our existing pandemic plan versus how we had to deal with it. Um, think about the PPE. You mentioned PPE and, and how to do that. So how do you climb a turbine, you know, a, a long ladder with a mask on? Uh, we, we talked about, we talked about arc flash and we've spent a lot of money on, on making sure that technicians had the appropriate PPE you know, balaclavas and, and hoods and, and jackets. Oh, and by the way, stick this uh, artificial uh, 
mask, you know, synthetic material mask with, with a metal strip right over the nose. I stick that on your mm-hmm. on your face oh, and right. then stick your head in this uh, cabinet. So obviously there, there's some issues there with the PPE that maybe other industries don't have an issue with. We've uh, adjusted maybe a little differently. You know, again, a lot of sites, a lot of industry can do a lot of their work remotely. We have not yet figured out how to change a girl pump remotely. So mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe maybe that's the coming. robots are coming. Yes. The robots are coming. Well, they're not here yet. And <laughs> and so how do we keep those turbines operating? How do we keep going on on preventative maintenance? And so how will we've done that? Maybe lacking some abilities on the PPE side, we focus more on the segregation side. So letting those crews mm. basically not even see each other anymore. Uh, so how we handle it personally is, is crews are yeah. staggered on 20-minute intervals. They, they come in, they, they have an area assigned to them where their tools, the parts that they need for the assignment today are, are out there for them. They pick those up. And you know, we talked about having the iPads and the work instruction, the work order and a lot of procedures. I don't know where it would be if we didn't have that technology because we can we can drop that right oh, on sure. the technician. They know what they, they need to do. They, they know what they need for tooling and for parts. And they've got 20 minutes to make those preparations and, and they're out to their turbine before the next crew comes in. So that's been a big focus mm. of ours. You know, the, the admins may be a little bit easier to do remote work. And, I've been able to do quite a bit of work remotely. Uh, it's again something that the wind industry, being so remote, naturally we, we've had to be able to VPN into the site and, and get access to that when we're not at site. And so we're already set up for that part. That really hasn't changed. You know that, that pandemic plan that we relied on. Nowhere in there did it mention that there's going to be hoarding of toilet paper and, and bottled water. <laughs> So we definitely weren't perfect. Um, there, an inordinate amount of time was spent on Amazon waiting for some bleach to be available that we can order for the site. So yeah. those are the yes. things that we weren't yeah. prepared for uh, that we really had to focus on. And, and we're definitely better prepared. You know, the second wave that, that came through and, and the hoarding did continue or repeat up here. That was not an issue for us the second time around. Well, that, that's amazing. I, Bjorn, I think that's amazing that you're prepared as much as you were because you think about all the other industries that were not prepared that probably should have been prepared, like the airline industry got crushed, totally crushed. They were talking about being unprepared for any sort of large outbreak. They just didn't have the resources. It took them weeks and weeks and weeks to you know to get to the point where people remotely felt safe to fly on aircraft and and you guys are out there working right so it's that's huge that preparation is such a big key to success here. i think the industry naturally is more prepared for things like this just just the environment that the wind industry is in is you, you have to be pretty independent. We have 60 miles of mm. road for our wind turbine access, but plenty of public road in between and in, in between those roads. We are not priority number one for the county snowplow to come out. So how are we going to get the guys safely right. to the turbines? 
you know, what if the fuel delivery can't come because of snow and ice or, or maybe the roads washed out because we're so far out on, on primitive roads. So, mm-hmm. you know, fuel storage was, was already in place. You know, there's a lot of things just because of the nature of where we're located, we have to be pretty independent and have to have an inventory to prepare for a delivery that doesn't show up. And, and so I think the industry overall, right. sure. Was that a uh, head start compared to maybe some? But you know, you mentioned the airline industry. You know, they have to cater to you know a paying public that that wants to use their facility. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't. So that, that's sure. that's something that we didn't even have to address. You know, first thing we did was was closed access to um, tours to to drop by visitors. Uh, one of the definite positives of COVID is the cold call salesman, which is not one of my favorite aspects of the job is <laughs> <laughs> no more cold call salesman yeah. dropping by right when you're in the middle of a busy, uh, busy workload. See, those are going to be, those are going right. to be jokes on you though. Those are going to be drones too. In the future, one will just fly right through your open window <laughs> and just, just, just hover and it'll just shoot a, uh, like a projector onto your wall and just give you a full sales pitch right there. And you'll have to have a shotgun oh, yeah. and, and blast it. Get back, get out of here. <laughs> well, it definitely, it's, it's changed everything, though, hasn't it? I mean, in terms of, do you think, you think of all the things that have changed, right? Do we go back? Or, or is it just because it's now, because we've been in this for almost nine months, nine, ten months or so, some people say it's probably been a year, but does that, what parts sure. don't go back? Like, do the salesmen don't come anymore? Because they just don't, you know, because they, they can't. And, and what, what things have we changed are just going to be locked in place you see going forward here? So I think there's some definite issues that I do want to return to when things get back to, to normal. You know, we've talked a lot about information sharing, um, everyone learning from each mm-hmm. other. During normal operation, the, the first thing that we did was everyone get together and we're going to discuss who's doing what. And so everybody knew where everybody was at. It also provided an opportunity for the technicians to provide their lessons learned. Like, hey, I saw this in my turbine. Be aware of this issue in your turbine. You know, especially when you're dealing with something new like a retrofit. Mm. Hey, I learned a better, safer way sure. of doing this. That's much more difficult to do now that we have staggered crews that, that don't see each other. We have, we have crews that haven't seen each other for yeah. eight months um yeah that's a good point that's something sure. I, I definitely want to return to do we need to do that on a daily basis did we really have that many lessons learned that we had to do that every day and i don't think so so maybe one day a week we we can all share that information and and be better for it because one of the things that i'm hmm. i'm liking with this staggered schedule with, with dealing with you know, our covid response is all right we have that morning meeting now I'm going to go to the bathroom and then I'm going to warm up my breakfast. I'm going to eat that and make a phone call and talk about the football game with the other guys. And I have to go to the bathroom again. <laughs> and you start looking at your watch and like, do I need to deal with this today or, or am I just going to let this slide? So <laughs> that morning, uh, that morning kind of BS session is, is gone. And I think our expectation with the crews is it's more completion-based or project-based scheduling than, than it is time-based. Hey, you're going to put your 10 hours in regardless, sure. and 
Then when your 10 hours is up, you go home. Or is it, here's your task for today. Get that done. Get it done safely. And then you're done. And yeah. crews really mm. like that. You know, yeah. they're not just putting in time. They have a goal. It's a daily goal. And when I get that done, I, I can yep. be away from this. Be away from this potential concentration of, of other people and, and do my own stuff. And that's that's worked sure. very well. It um, sure. The efficiencies that we've seen in uh, in our service completions and our preventive maintenance, this has been a very efficient year for us. Our our availability is wow better than average. Not not significantly improved, but it's better than average. And we we talked about the monotony, you know, for those maintenance techs of doing the same thing day in day out, and resulting turnover just when when they're just tired of doing the same thing. If if they have a more project-based goal that's going to get their motivations up of hey if i if i work hard do a good job i I can be done where before i'm just putting in my time right right trying to spread it out yeah well and and that's hey that's part of it right we all we've all been in that mode before where it just gets to be a little tiring you're doing the same thing every day and anything that can change the pace does make work easier it makes it go fa- makes your day go faster and it does make the day shorter too it, it's it's funny that way i mean that's one of the things that people just don't do very well at is the same repetitive task going over again and that's a, and it's one of those things you don't think about with covid that it's so much is going to change that i i bet a lot of technicians will never want to go back to that right it's just because they're, they're in control a little bit and that's nice so there's some positive out of covid so slivers oh, yeah. but, <laughs> but there's some positives coming out of it yeah i think you know speaking for my sites and i'm assuming generically speaking for the industry i think that this has done a lot of good for wind you know not everybody likes wind turbines some people think that they're an eyesore some people don't like the additional traffic you know maybe they live out in these remote areas just because they they like being in remote areas now there's all these technicians driving around in mm. full-size pickups and this is not what they signed up for and so definitely a lot of people like the industry others maybe not so much but i, I think this has proven that we were able to continue operations when a lot of industry weren't able to continue operations we were able to move forward with a lot of our capital projects that supported local contractors. So not only did we maintain pretty high paying jobs for the area and, and help support the local economy with right. that, but we also were able to, to move sure. forward with our capital projects that you know supported those local vendors and, and maybe regional vendors. And so I think looking back on this, they're gonna say, hey, the wind industry did pretty good for this. They kept us going by doing this, this, and this. You know, the traveling techs still need a hotel to stay in and and food to buy. And That's right. I think that we've been able to yeah. really support the local industry that, that will be a positive for many years to come. So Bjorn, we, we talked about personnel earlier and I want to double back uh, here as we get closer to the end here. Uh, so what advice would you give to a young person looking to make his or her name in the wind energy industry? I think the first thing that if somebody wants to get into the industry that they need to decide is is what kind of lifestyle do they prefer at this point in their life? Uh, there's definitely different paths that you can go down. Personally, I like to be able to come home uh, to the same place 
each night. Maybe that's, you know, if you don't have a family, if you, if you don't have that desire to show up at the same home every night, you know, maybe your motivation is going to be more financial and that's definitely going to lead you down the path of, of being a traveling technician. So whether that's mm -hmm. a traveling maintenance technician or maybe you specialize, maybe you specialize in gearbox component replacements. I don't need to keep one of those guys or, or two of those guys at the site at all time. That's going to be a transient uh, technician and they get paid very well to do that. And they live out of hotels and airplanes. And I don't like any of that. Uh, I definitely like to travel, but not, not every day. So, you know, mm -hmm. what kind of lifestyle do you want to pursue? Um, so answer that question, and, and that's going to put you, you know, are, are you going to be a traveler? Are you going to be more focused on a site? And then let's say that you want to be more focused on a site. Um, what kind of what kind of work do you want to do? If, if you really want to specialize in really understanding a component, I, I think you need to look at working with the OEMs. Um, you know, the, the OEMs are going to have the ability to have those very specialized positions because they can spread that out over more turbines, uh, more sites. And that's great. Uh, if you want to be a maintenance technician, if, if you just want to be able to clock out at the end of the day and be done with your work and not think about it at, at two in the morning, you know, a maintenance technician is is a great job. It's a, it's a it's a good wage. It's an exciting environment, like like we said, being up tower. Um, but it but it is just repetitive. Mm -hmm. So some people aren't wired for that repetitive work. Some people are. Um, if you're not, I would say look more at the owner's side of, of the fence, uh, whether that's balance of plant or, or maybe they do work in the turbines. The job is going to vary quite a bit. I think you also get a little bit more ownership if, if you're representing the owners on that site. You, you feel more like this is my site, not just another turbine to do maintenance on. And the scope of work is going to vary so much. You know, we mentioned about snow removal. So maybe you're plowing snow, which, by the way, is one of the most fun jobs out here. When <laughs> when you see the speedometer saying <laughs> yeah, 35, sure. 40, and you're only doing five, and, and you're, <laughs> you have a rooster tail of, of snow going off, whatever stress you have that day is right. gone. It's, it's, it's pretty <laughs> enjoyable. But, you know, maybe you're, you're working with IT on an upgrade to make – communication with the balancing authority more efficient you do that one day and the next day you're helping the local rancher push cows back in because somebody left a gate open it <laughs> so i i prefer the ownership you know feeling like you're you're more part of the site and the the variable um workload you know it just doesn't have the monotony but mm. On the other hand, I don't have that specialty that that gearbox technician really has. I, I rely on those guys because they know that stuff way better than I do. And that affords them to you know, be very valuable in what they do. It, it affords them to travel across sure. the country, which, uh, you know, if, if that's what you want to do, that's, that's great. That opportunity is definitely there. And then the last thing I, I would say is – you know, and this kind of falls under what's changed over the 14 years is don't just look at the wind site. Look at the third-party vendors that 
really weren't in place 14 years ago, but now are in place that support the industry. Originally, if we had a generator failure, we ordered a generator out of Texas. And if it wasn't during the winter and going over the Rockies in the winter wasn't an issue, it it still took four days to get that generator. You know, we now have a generator rebuild shop two hours away from us that really didn't exist you know, until just a few years ago, it's, it's made our reliability or our response, um, much, much quicker, which means our reliability is much better, but you know, that's, that's an opportunity sure. for you to wow. maybe specialize on a piece of equipment and stay home. So don't just look at the wind site, look at the, uh, look at the supporting vendors that are out there that, that are probably more local than what they mm. used to be. That's that's a really good thought because most people don't consider that that there's local industry around the wind turbines uh, farms themselves and because you just don't it doesn't really come to mind but you're right generator repair is a big one and uh, machine shops and things of that sort that do some of the heavier bits of rework are really important to to keeping the turbines up and running and it's good paying they're all good paying jobs and they're local you know at the technician level if you're new to the industry. One of the things that's difficult is just how big a wind site is. You know, you you've have hundreds of turbines and you're just a service crew that's out there. Does your manager really know how well you're doing? Yeah, you're getting your work orders completed and saying this is done. And you're part of those morning meetings, again, under normal times. But just with the environment that's here, that your manager's not really going to know that you didn't cut this corner, that you did an extra effort to make this better. You found this and and improved that. So I just maybe urge the technicians to talk, you know, those morning meetings that we have, those lessons learned for those technicians to maybe sell themselves a little bit and maybe not salesy, just be part of the communication. And that really helps the managers know like, hey, this guy's really interested I'm going to feed him this additional training or make them the lead on this project that's going to be maybe less monotonous. But if you just sit in those morning meetings, maybe listen to what's being said and, and go on and do your date, that manager's not really going to know the quality worker that you are. So, so speak up because they can't look over your shoulder when you're 30 turbines over 80 meters up in the air. Yeah, that's nice. good advice. So Bjorn, as we wrap up here, how can people find out more about eSig and where would you direct them if they're curious about your own wind sites or, or any of your work? Right. I think uh, eSig is a great platform for learning more. Again, the operator's guidebook is available on the eSig website, which is esig.energy. You do need to have a membership to be part of that, but if your company is an owner or operator of a wind or solar or energy storage, they can definitely be part of that. So uh, maybe your company already is a member and you just don't know about it and you already do have access through your your company's membership. If not, uh, talk to them uh, and reach out to esig.energy and we'd be glad to give you more information on being part of that knowledge sharing for the entire industry. And then your sites are, uh, as we mentioned in the intro and throughout the show, White Creek Wind, number one, and Harvest Wind Project, 
Uh, is there anything you'd like people to know about them? Uh, obviously, you guys have a Facebook page and websites for both. And of course, we'll link to eSig's website below. We'll uh, link to the different projects as well, so you can check them out if you're listening. Um, but is there anything else, uh, Bjorn, you'd like to turn people towards? Well, I guess this would be a more of a local uh, reach out. And again, during normal normal periods of uh, non-pandemic time that we definitely want to help you with your in- interest in the industry. If you want to see what these wind turbines are about, back again, back when we we're in normal operations, we do have tours for the public. So you can reach out to us. You can Google White Creek Wind or Harvest Wind Project and, and our websites will pop up and we'd be happy to bring you up tower. Uh, you're going to be escorted by some very experienced technicians and, and see what it's like to be up at an 80 meter tower and you know hit up those technicians and uh, see what they think life as a wind technician is like. We have uh, outreach to several of the community colleges that have renewable technician programs. The Dallas Community College and Walla Walla Community College were part of the STEM Council to, to help with what focus those classes need to have to make better technicians for out in the field. And so we provide our input there. And so you can reach out to those community colleges and look at what their programs look like and uh, and their um, reach to the industry, like what they do with us. I have a new one that I, I haven't had the opportunity to speak to yet, but Washington State University has a renewable generation program that I believe is fairly new and I'll be talking with them later in this week. So uh, check out WSU, go Cougs. <laughs> well, Bjorn, thanks so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. It was a great, great conversation. And I, I'm sure our listeners will really appreciate your, just your, your depth of knowledge uh, being in the wind industry all these years. Dan Allen, thank you for having me on. I hope this is useful for your listeners. I was directed to your podcast from a colleague of mine and, short-term listener, but have really done a lot to catch up. I appreciate the information that you guys share. I've learned a lot from your podcast, so I appreciate the time to hopefully help out as well. All right. And for you all out there, thanks so much for listening. Be sure to uh, subscribe, share the show. We're on obviously iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, anywhere you listen to podcasts. So thank you for being here. And thanks again so much to our guest today, Bjorn Hedges. Is downtime causing you financial pain and putting a stop to your power production for months on end? It's no secret, lightning strike damage is a major cause of wind turbine downtime. This damage is preventable with our easy-to-install strike tape lightning protection system for wind turbine blades. Our incredible engineering, build quality, materials, and edge sealants withstand up to five times more abuse in the toughest weather and lightning conditions. And we've got the research to prove it. If you're tired of constant downtime, we can help. Reach out to us at weatherguardwind.com and schedule a free call. We'll get your uptime back in no time.